2: You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk,
1: a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Oh, Coombsy, the old roller coaster ride that is the 2023 Blue Jays continues. They get swept by Boston. They go and sweep Pittsburgh. You're thinking, OK, we'll go grab a nice little split here against Philly. And then it's good living. And boy, that did not happen.
2: Well, if the pattern continues. Then the Blue Jays are going to come home this weekend and sweep the Atlanta
1: Braves. But then if the pattern continues, they're going to get swept by the Yankees in four.
2: But then if the pattern continues to continue, they're going to sweep the Baltimore Orioles in three.
1: But then if the pattern continues to continue after it continues, they're going to get swept by the Rays in four again. It's just, you know, they need to find some level of consistency, I think, is the is what I'm pulling out of the first 10 days of the month of May.
2: Well, they've been, they were saying all spring training, they're going to be more detail oriented. Yeah. They were going to fuck up less. i not, that's not what they said word for word, but that's what they implied. <laughs> we're paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. We're paraphrasing. John Schneider came out and said word for word, we're going to fuck up less this year. And I don't know if
1: that's really been the case. It yeah. absolutely has not been. And we are going to talk about all of that in just a bit here. The Jays getting swept in a series granted a two gamer. So I always struggle mm-hmm. calling it a sweep when it's just a two gamer, but they dropped both to the Phillies and they led in each game against the Phillies. And I mean, even in the first one, it was a one run game heading into the eighth inning and they found a way to not grind out a victory in that one. Obviously a blown save in game number two, Uh three up three down to start this week's episode of the podcast. And Alec Manoa, I, I remember when he came up and the talk about calling him up was, These guys only have so many bullets, so don't waste their bullets in double A, triple A, whatever. If they're ready to go, you bring them up. It looks like Alec Manoa is out of bullets.
2: It kind of does. I mean, I I saw the term being tossed around on Twitter and granted everyone on Twitter is rational. Yeah. (laughs) Overly dramatic about everything. Everything's always the end of the world. Yeah. Such as life. But I saw the term thrown around dead arm. Because Alec Manoa's fastball velocity is down from where it's been in the past. His slider, which was always that wipeout pitch, that thing that was so important that made him unhittable against right-handed pitchers or right-handed hitters, simply isn't moving the way that it used to. And he just doesn't look like the same pitcher. And you, you go back and, like you said, he came up quickly. And then has two huge seasons. Think about last year. He throws 196 and two-thirds innings and then starts the playoff game. So technically goes above 200 innings in that calendar year. And then this year, it looks like he's just burnt out. So you wonder, is it it, he's thrown too many innings too quickly after coming up? Or is it something else? Is it the pitch clock?
1: Is he struggling with that? You would think, though, he'd have it sorted out if it was as simple as, okay, I got to fix my timing with the pitch clock. You'd think after start five, six or whatever, it's like, OK, like, I am my stuff's still my stuff. It looks like he just doesn't have it. And I think the most apparent part of that is like, OK, four and two thirds, four hits, four walks, three earned runs. That's not like, a, oh, my God, he got lit up. What a terrible outing. It's not a good outing by any means. But the fact that he only has one strikeout is yeah. what just jumps off the page to me here when I look at his stat line. And when you're watching that game, it's like. He can't put batters away. He doesn't have that extra little oomph that he used to have. And, and to me, that's not pitch clock related at all. That's, that's a guy whose arm is exhausted.
2: Yeah, it it he really doesn't look like the same pitcher at all. There was so many times last year where he'd, you he'd, he'd go through the, the 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 lineup the first time so quickly and so easily. It was all these ground ball outs and then as time went along since he didn't have to work so hard in the first handful of innings, the first half of the game, still in the 5th, 6th and 7th innings and in important situations. He was able to rear back and strike a guy out. And that just hasn't happened. It feels like every single game he starts in the first inning, it's, it's a long inning. There's a guy who fouls off five or six pitches, you know, and then winds up taking a walk, something like that. And he just cannot strike the guys out. He, it's it's confounding because, you know, 2021 and 2022, he came up and made, what, like four bad starts all yeah. told.
1: It was quality There was like start. the one against Baltimore where he yeah. got kicked out that we were like, oh boy,
2: this is like the first time he's been bad and then he yeah. like was never bad again. He was never bad again. He had, uh, like, what, two or three bad starts last yeah. year. He had that September where his ERA was under one. I swear, honestly, if you look at it, like the, uh, the playoff start against Seattle might have been one of his worst starts in all of last year. So, it's weird. You have to wonder if it's I don't know. I, I still think it has something to do with the pitch clock. I don't want to be, I don't want to jump into this narrative because I think it's, it's kind of lame and kind of unfair. Alec Manoa got some criticism that I think was pretty shitty in regards to his physical body and being a really big guy. It's a heavy guy. And I wonder if there's a, a, a stamina issue or a speed issue, a cardio issue when it comes to the pitch clock. Like, I mean, I'm a big guy myself. I weigh 250 pounds. So like, I, I'm well aware of of being a big guy and doing cardio related stuff. But I don't want to lean into this fully and say, oh, like Manoa is too big of a guy to pitch. It's, it's click-fady it's and whatever, yeah, but it's I,
1: you feel bad bringing it up almost yeah. because of all of the click and yeah. bullshit hot take artists that have done it. But there might be something to it. There might be, because that's
2: the pattern. He's not just going to forget how to pitch. Yeah. I don't think that having 200-ish innings last year's resulted in him, his arm falling off. I don't feel like hitters have suddenly just figured out how to hit his slider. It, it seems like it might be the pitch clock to me. And he might have to make a change and improve his cardio. And again, I hate saying that because it sounds rude. I'm telling a professional athlete to do something different physically. I don't like doing it, but that's that's just what keeps popping into my mind. He doesn't look like he has the same comfort on the mound this year as he has in the past. It doesn't seem like he has the time to collect himself and then throw that big pitch to get the
1: strikeout. It's not there right now. We're running out of other reasons, right? Like, yeah. that's just part of it here with Manoa and the frustration because, I mean, he hasn't had a, has he had a dominant start this year? I can't, I don't think so. He had the one really good start against uh, the Yankees. I
2: think it was that one where he went head to head with Garrett Cole. Oh, yeah. That was great. Yeah. It was seven innings. He allows just the two hits and one walk, nowhere and runs five strikeouts. And He's then okay against Seattle the next Yeah. Week. Fine against Seattle. But you're looking at his outings here and it's the two seven inning starts. Two starts at five innings and then everything else, four and two thirds, four and two thirds, four and one third, three and one third. You look back at his outings last year and he went five or six or more pretty much every single start. So worrying stuff,
1: not ideal. Yeah, that is our uh, first big down from the two-gamer against the Phillies. Boy, for a two-game series, we are pulling out a lot of negatives from this one. It's all uh, negatives. <laughs> yeah, it's not going it, to... This isn't one it's I a was... bad vibe show. I wasn't driving into work today, driving into the studio, being like, oh boy, I can't wait to talk about that. No, not nope. at all. And part of the reason is because this next one we're going to hit on, our second down, is something that I just wanted to go away so bad at the start of the year. So, so bad defense, specifically at shortstop. There was like, hey, the Kevin Gosman thing in the first inning, whatever, doesn't cover first base. Espinal in the ninth, that one, the bad throw when you could have just flipped it to second to where Bo was, didn't make a ton of sense. But Espinal is probably a conversation for later. Bo Bichette, your franchise shortstop, the guy who we talk about, oh, are you going to give him the mega deal, all that? A guy who you we were thinking could maybe be their MVP this year. You can't do that. No 10th inning Taylor made double play back to Tim Meza. You got to put that w- at least within the same area code. At least if it brings Vladdy off the bag of hair, a run doesn't come in, but to launch that thing that far wide, Bryce Harper had no interest in beating that out. No, he, he was like halfway up the line. Boba Bichette may have been able to run to first base and complete that double play himself. And I love the guy. I rock a Bobuchet baby blue jersey on the weekends, but that's unacceptable.
2: Yeah, it's really unfortunate, and it sucks because it's something we would really like to avoid talking about. Because it feels like we've filled so much content space talking about Bobuchet's defense yeah. and whether he'll ever be the true like two way shortstop. We all know he has the great bat. He's yeah. uh, he's already um, in his in his young career had one of the best starts in Blue Jays history. Like he reached 500 hits quicker than Vernon Wells, Shannon Stewart, a whole bunch of really impressive names in franchise history. But the glove just hasn't been there. I mean, this year it's been slightly better than in the past. I think he only has four or five errors and Fangraphs has him at a zero for defensive runs saved, whereas last year it was like a minus 10. So it felt like it was better. But then the errors, when
1: the errors come, are so bad. So bad. And there is something to that. Like I know our pal BK was on Twitter being like, man, Bo's been so good at short. Like this happens. And I get that. I totally understand that he has been better for the last 15 to 20 days here. But still, if you want a guy to be your big game, big name shortstop, that's a play that just gets made. Yeah, sure. Maybe you make an error when it's June 15th and you're playing a day game against the White socks and you're up by eight. Like, maybe that happens, but like crunch time like that, you need to be more dialed in. And to me, that's what it comes down to. That's just like, you're not dialed in.
2: Yeah. It, it, it uh, yeah. I think I'll go back to the same thing I just said, which is that when he does make these errors, they seem like they come in big situations. Yes. Yeah. It, it, you circle back to, and I don't know if I'll, I'll fault him for, uh, no, I'm not, I'm obviously not going to fault him for the collapse in last year's playoff game because so many things went wrong. Yeah. But you think about that play where he runs out. And, 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 and falls right into George Springer and there's the injury and all the runs score and it's just a clusterfuck. And for some reason, Bo's errors really stand out as, as huge game changing ones, at big moments. And I think it results in everyone because there's, there's already like the, the, the eyes are already on them it's always been a thing. It's always been Bo's a good header, Bo's a mediocre defender. And because of that, everyone's paying attention to it. And if he keeps making errors like this in key moments, ones that wind up blowing saves, blowing the game, then everyone's going to pay attention to it more. And it just becomes more of a thing. It almost becomes a confirmation bias thing where you expect Bo to fuck up and we're all watching for it. And then we're all talking about it. And then it's probably going to get into his head.
1: And that actually, in a way, ties into our third down, the whole like confirmation bias thing. John Schneider... He's starting to build up a little bit of a reputation with some fans. He's new some Charlie. Reasons. He's well, like for some people he's long past there. He killed the man, but kept the idea. Well, yeah, <laughs> that meme. <laughs> uh, and with Schneider, I think, listen, it's hard to love a manager because I think you notice the bad decisions. And like when a manager goes to a pitcher in the eighth and they give him three outs and they're off, You give credit to the pitcher. You're never like, oh darn, the manager, what a smart move that was to bring in that reliever at that point. It's way easier to be negative about a decision maker, a play call or whatever in sports. That being said, you let Santiago Espinal hit and then pinch hit for Kevin Kiermaier. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense considering Kiermaier swinging a pretty good bat this year. Espinal is the exact opposite end of that spectrum. Trevor Richards comes in, gives you a couple solid innings. You throw him back out there. Gets lit up. Dalton Varsho is starting to hit the ball pretty well. We were talking on the last spot. He was one mm-hmm. of our big ups. Was our big up. Launched that ball into the river further than anyone's ever hit a baseball in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and then you decide to bring in George Springer to hit for him. Visibly sick. Like, he, looks, he looks zonked. George Springer can't play because this illness he's dealing with is taking him multiple days to get over. And you're like, hell yeah. That guy should hit for <laughs> one of my hotter hitters right now. It's just... They were just like galaxy-brained, brain-dead decisions. I don't even know how to describe them, but they're frustrating when you sit there and look at one game that you lost by one run and one game that was a one-run game in late it in was the ball game, it was You close. were right there. Both of those games were so winnable that it's hard to not dissect decisions from the manager and go, that might have cost you one of those two.
2: Yeah, I felt bad for Richards because he comes in in the sixth inning to, uh, replace Nate Pearson with runners on. And he comes and get a foul pop fly, which is to get out of the inning. And then he comes back out for the seventh strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. And you're like, wow, what a great sixth and seventh from Trevor Richards. Like, this is exactly what we need in these middle innings where we're, you know, we feel pretty confident with Eric Swanson, Jordan Romano at the back, but you want to fill up those innings. And then they, They bring him out again for the eighth. and he allows a walk and a single and another walk. And it's like, how many pitches do you expect Trevor yeah. Richards, who's your sixth, seventh, eighth guy in the bullpen, to throw? And the pinch hitting decisions—it's weird. You have you know Varsho, like we said, he's been killing it recently. And George Springer looked like he should have been like back at the hotel and in bed.
1: He looked yeah, like, like he why could, is he even in the dugout, kind of thing. Never yeah. mind on the field.
2: Like <laughs> and then so yeah, I don't know. And then the the next game the. Kevin Kiermaier pinching, pinch hitting for Kevin Kiermaier with Alejandro Kirk despite the fact that the pitcher the Philadelphia Phillies were using at that time was right-handed so you had the lefty on the righty matchup. It really didn't make any sense but I don't know I, I I'm not usually a huge fan of sitting here and being like oh we need a manager who makes every single decision that I think they yeah. need to make because blah 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 he's costing the team games like I thought it was kind of over exaggerated how many games Charlie Montoyo cost the Jays 100% I like, think back to 2021 everybody would spaz out every single loss because he used Joel Payamps instead of, I don't fucking know, whatever random reliever (laughs) at that time. And the reason that the the team was struggling is because the options just weren't there. It feels like there's more options now and still decisions that are made are sort of bizarre. They're they're very easy to criticize. It, It feels like Schneider doesn't necessarily love rolling with the hot hand in all situations, but then sometimes leans into the hot hand so aggressively that you have Trevor Richards out there throwing like 20, 30, 40 pitches to a team with the team like the Phillies who have a really good lineup, so it's just weird, just confusing, but
1: doesn't make a lot of sense. No, Eric Swanson pitched in both of those games as well. By the way, uh, also if we want to throw a little bonus down in there, or I guess it would be, oh, I guess yeah, we did Manoa. We did the errors and both specifically the weird Schneider decisions. Um, Jordan Romano blows another save. Another uh, yeah, save yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there was a the uh, walk
2: off in Boston. Now, this yep. walk off in Boston, and then there's this one here. All of Romano's baseball Savant stuff, and I'm not a huge baseball Savant guy, um, but all of his stuff on there appears red, which is good. Yeah. So the things are working, and Jimmy Garcia. This is kind of an aside, but it's the same thing. The results aren't necessarily there, but all the sliders on that website are red, which generally means a positive thing. So I think it's best to take the like trust the process approach here, but it also kind of paints a picture that the Blue Jays, again, probably should be looking to upgrade their bullpen ahead of the trade deadline. Plenty of time to do that. No rush whatsoever because it's May, but... Yeah, more more veteran options at the back of the bullpen who can strike guys out and pick up saves because I don't know Jordan Romano's tossed a lot of innings in the in the past few years. Like the same the same worry about with Alec Manoa with with usage, it's
1: there. So what have you made of Nate Pearson so far? I mean, he's pitched five and two thirds innings. You know, he's only allowed one earned run in those five and two thirds innings. Like, is that a guy they could maybe lean on a little bit more and maybe? Start to trust in potentially higher leverage spots, even sure honestly, why not like i I feel like at the time we 're at right now, early in
2: the season, it's worthwhile to just try things and see Figure what, out what you have, yeah, see what you 've got because. Maybe Nate Pearson is that guy. Maybe Jay Jackson is that guy. You know, maybe the guy is already on the roster. Maybe it's somebody else down in AAA. Give some different guys some shots in different situations, multi innings, you know, one inning situations, maybe even save situations, just to see what you have so that you don't wind up going and spending through the nose ahead of the trade deadline to acquire multiple veteran relievers.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. At this point, when you look at, the the guys they do have in that bullpen, it's almost like, hey, do you even need to add anyone to this bullpen? You just need it to maybe be managed a bit better, which again, I hate coming back to that, but it'll be interesting to see how Schneider keeps going here. I think it's safe to say though, 11 day road trip.
2: What What are I was I was just talking about uh Ken Giles, former Blue Jays closer is throwing a live bullpen session on Friday after doing a five week session at Drive Line Phoenix. So if the Blue Jays are in need of some pitching day, How did their relationship end though? Uh I thought it was fine. He so they acquire him in 2018 in the, yeah. in the Roberto Asuna deal. And then 2019, he's fantastic, has like an amazing season. One of the best ever for a Blue Jays closer. This is when they were dog shit and everybody just kind of expected, okay, you don't need a closer at this time. So they'll trade him. But then 2020 rolls around and in his second outing of the year, he gets hurt. And then comes back in September finally, and then is bad and has Tommy John. Seattle signs him to the two year deal. That's and crazy. he finally makes it back to the Mariners in like June of 2022, makes four or five appearances and gets DFA'd and uh, signs with San Francisco, doesn't make it up to the big
1: league. So here we are now. He's only like 32. Yeah, there's reason to think that maybe he's got some upside that also huh? maybe reeks of just like the Sergio Romo move from last year. Well, so and they're not that desperate no they're not that desperate the Jays have a lot of pitching depth I
2: mostly just brought up Ken because it's like oh here's here's a name we haven't said out loud in quite some time it's a that's an unfortunate story. He it was is, a yeah, really, was, really could, good pitcher. Hundred Miles
1: Giles. Hundred Miles Giles. Yeah. He was unreal. And ah it, damn. Nate, maybe now I'm getting a little bit uh whatever right? reminiscent and I and I'm I'm in. Those seasons had some had some good random
2: players, and Ken Giles is at the top of the list of guys that were very good on a very bad team. And it was like, I would have liked to see this guy play meaningful games for the Jays. Like it's a shame in 2020 when they made the playoffs in the dinky COVID season, when everyone made the playoffs that they didn't have him yeah. as their closer,
1: right? I, I'm more waiting for how Hunjin Ryu can do out of the bullpen oh, yeah. or Chad Green. Absolutely. Uh, those are those yeah,
2: internal reinforcements, man. Hunjin yeah. Ryu is going to be the dead big trade deadline acquisition. <laughs> Damn it. Built in um, trade deadline acquisition.
1: Anyways, 11 days on the road for the Toronto Blue Jays, stops in three different cities, but two days off in the last four, sleeping in their own beds for some nights because it's a long homestand now. I think this day off and then back at home is probably coming at a good time. I'm hoping that right there is enough to just get them feeling a little bit better because it's a tough, tough slog for the rest of this month when you look at the quality of teams you're playing. I know we touched on that last week, but like, shit. Yeah, it's this could get ugly. And that's why I'm saying I'm happy they kind of had this combo of like a day off back at home. Like, whoo flush the first 11 days, and you got to turn things around.
2: Yeah, we touched on this last time, and we kind of just touched on it when we were goofing around at the beginning of the show, but <clears throat> the schedule is is really hard. It's, yeah. it's Atlanta, three games. Atlanta's probably the best team in the National League. The Yankees for four, Baltimore for three. Mm-hmm. Both the Yankees and Baltimore are good. Then it's at Tampa. We all know how good Tampa is. It's at Minnesota. Minnesota's got some of the best pitching in Major League Baseball, and they're leading the AL Central. I was very critical of the Twins last episode, and then I went and looked at the Twins, and I realized it's kind of like the Shaq meme where i'm not familiar with your game turns out they're better than i thought they have very good pitchers and then they're playing milwaukee then the mets then houston then minnesota again then baltimore then texas those are all teams that are over 500 and the next time they play a dog shit team is mid-june against the florida the miami marlins so it's literally a month a month-long gauntlet of um playoff caliber teams but thankfully, a bunch of those games are going to come at home and the Jays are nine and three thus
1: far at the Rogers Center. They've only yeah. played 12 games at home. They've played 25 games in the road. They love hitting in front of the Corona social deck. Am I right? <laughs> Other teams, relievers are struggling with how close the fans are sitting and all of that stuff. Uh, let's get ready for this series against the Atlanta Braves. But first, let's step aside for a quick break.
0: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: All right, Coomsy, three against the Atlanta Braves. Let's take a peek at who Atlanta has on the mound to start. Ah, shit! It's Spencer Strider, one of the best arms in all of baseball. This guy is has a 2.7 ERA to start the season. He's thrown 40 innings over seven appearances. He goes late in ball games. He struck out 67 batters in 40 innings. In his last appearance against Baltimore, you might go, he gave up two earned runs in five innings. Yeah, (laughs) but he struck out 10 batters in his last three starts. This dude has struck out 31 batters it's insane this guy's legit if he's a, like people who follow the sport on a day-to-day basis will be like no shit he's still kind of at that age and at that point where he's only had like last year behind him he was a breakout stud last year had him on my fantasy team he's starting to get recognized as like one of the high-end arms but he's not one of the names that like casuals jump to as like one of the best arms in baseball but he is He is. He's a really damn good pitcher. So
2: he goes in game one against Chris Bassett. And we saw Chris Bassett put together a huge start for the Jays against the Pirates when they badly needed it after a really awful series in Boston. Bassett goes seven innings. So, yeah. Maybe. Eh. And then the next game after that, it's Jose Barrios versus Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder, another good pitcher in Atlanta's rotation. He's yeah. 3-0 and on the year. 23 years old. Yeah. like Just a good, good arm. Look at this draft that Atlanta had in 2020 during the COVID year. They grabbed Spencer Strider in the fourth round. And their next pick, uh, pick is Elder, who I just mentioned. And they've amassed 4.9 and 2.5 wins above replacement already.
1: Yeah, that's good.
2: That is good. And why wasn't was? why wasn't Alex Anthopoulos drafting like this when he was in Toronto? Why was he drafting fucking Chad Jenkins and Deck McGuire?
1: It took to Bo 70. Bichette in the second round. Not like I can't turn a double play. No, that was a Cleveland Crew draft. Back. Oh yeah. yeah. No, Bo. Oh, 2016. It's their oh. first draft. Vladi was a was a was an a yeah, signing. AAA. This is correct. Uh The Braves, by the way, are coming off a quick two gamer against the Red Sox that they split. They won nine three and lost five Uh sorry. I cut you off while you were doing the pitching because it's Kikuchi versus Morton in game three as well. So uh, I mean, the Jays are going to have to grind like this is going to be a tough, tough series to win two of. Yeah, this isn't like and I mean,
2: we've we've all felt. We've been good vibes and positive about Barrios and Kikuchi this year. We've we've been very glass half full, but you're going in with Bassett, Barrios, Kikuchi versus Atlanta. As I said, probably the best team in the National League. Really good pitching. Virtually zero room for error for those three pitchers. So Ah, I like to say you're hoping for two of three in this series, but given the way things are going and how good the Braves are.
1: How good Alex Anthopoulos' oh. Braves are. It's going to be all weekend of that, man. Speaking of former friends, <laughs> Kevin Pillar makes his return to Toronto.
2: Yeah, okay. So apparently, I was looking at this, and apparently he's already played 11 games against the Jays since being traded away right at the start of 2019. I have no memory of that happening. When would that have happened? Am I am I against off? or in Toronto? Uh, just against the Jays in general. Okay. He hasn't suited up as an opponent in Toronto yet, I don't think. But... Um, so... Oh, man, I I'm just because he, he got traded to San Francisco. Oh, here's where it would have oh, come. 2020, Sox. he uh he was with the Red Sox. I have yeah. no memory of that.
1: No, I don't. I mean, <laughs> 2020 COVID year, whatever. Like, yeah, it makes sense that we have no memory of it. But Kevin Plar will come back and I'm sure the crowd will give him Ooh. a nice little salute. Apparently, he was traded that season from Boston to Colorado. I don't remember that. I remember him going to camp with the Giants and stuff like that
2: yeah I remember him playing for the Dodgers and getting hurt. I remember him being on the Mets, but I have no memory of this um, this situation in Boston, but I mean I,
1: I give him full credit. That's a dude who not to sound like a dick, probably had no business having a career as long as he has. but like and I'm not saying like talent-wise, like injuries have gotten in the way. Yeah. He's gotten older and yet he just like he, he's missed like almost a full calendar year, and then he'll just like pop up somewhere in spring training and make the team out of camp like ho hum
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I, we all know Kevin Polaris' story, but it's worth going back. Um, he was drafted by the Jays in the 32nd round of the 2011 draft. And I remember, if I remember correctly, his signing bonus was only a thousand dollars. So, I mean, he just. Well, with inflation. (laughs) Yeah, now that's, that's like 20 grand now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then he just joined the Blue Jays system and he, he just hit. 347 batting average in rookie league 2011 323 in A ball 307 between double A AA and triple A comes moved up. up quick too did for a guy picked that late yeah cuz he he was like pretty much last round 2011 and he made his debut in 2013 mm-hmm. Had a huge role in 2015 too yeah, I mean, obviously he was big yeah. those years. That was one of the most like random parts of that team. We all had like that center field spot earmarked for Dalton Pompey, and then Kevin Pilar, who's apparently this like left fielder who can hit but can't field, becomes their like gold club center fielder. One of the most random parts
1: of that season. It was. All right, three against the Braves on deck this weekend in Toronto at the Dome. And then after that for the Jays, oh boy, giddy up because it's a four-gamer against the Yankees. After that, the Jays sitting fourth in the AL East right now, just half a game up on that Yankees team. Like, again, they're all important. You play 162, there's a lot of them. Wins now mean just as much as wins in September. Wins against the Pirates, in a way, mean just as much as wins against good or great teams like the Braves and stuff, but I just feel like there's a bit of pressure mounting on this team to start winning some ball games against good teams. Yeah, no, there definitely is. I mean, you're already seven and a half
2: games back of the division. I don't think any of us are anxious about the Jays making the playoffs and or grabbing a wild card spot or whatever that winds up being, but I don't know, man. Like you, you'd like to be competitively in the mix for the division. And I understand that Tampa's having a, yeah,
1: like just like New York last year, a historically good start, but, but they could like, also slow down at some point because New York yeah. did too. Remember there was that Yankees series did. last year against the Yankees where we were like, hold up. If you sweep this, like you might have a shot at the division. Like that almost came to play last year.
2: Yeah. I'm just going back and looking at New York season last year and on. Yeah, at this point in time last year, they were already <laughs> 24 and eight, but they're only up 4.5. So,
1: I mean, still plenty of time, yeah. still plenty of time, still plenty of time. Uh, we'll be back either over the weekend on Sunday or bright and early on Monday to break down this series against the Atlanta Braves. Hoping for two wins at the Dome for the Jays, right? We're just setting the bar there, Coombsy. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's do that. That's reasonable. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget like and leave a review if you're listening on Apple. That'll do it. Enjoy the weekend, Cam. Best wishes. Hold up.
3: What was that?